Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Warner Brothers Discovery's Meredith Gertler about the launch of new streamer Max. From Amazon's Lauren Anderson and Jenny Falkoff about their unscripted programming plans. And from Fox Entertainment's Alison Wallach about her hunt for new formats and approach to the international market. Warner Brothers Discovery, the US media giant created last year by the $43 billion merger of the Harry Potter and Mythbusters makers, last week brought together its HBO Max and Discovery Plus streaming services into a single destination, simply called Max. Meredith Gertler, HBO and Warner Brothers Discovery Executive Vice President of Global Content Strategy Planning and Analysis, was among the speakers at C21's Content LA ahead of the launch and spoke there to Jordan Pinto about the thinking behind it, the impact on programming and the latest on international rollout. So Meredith, your role, it's really quite a complex one and you cover so many different parts of Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, Could you talk to us just a bit about what exactly your role is? And I think that would be helpful to set the table for the discussion. Sure. So there are a few different facets to my role, but I think I sort of boil down the three key components. The first would be, what is our global content investment strategy? So where are we going to be directing our content dollars globally? How much are we going to spend in each, each region and on what? And the on what merely means, what's the right mix of content? in each particular region and market. So what's the balance of original programming, licensed content, series, movies, and so forth. Um, And then the second piece, which is very much tied to the first piece, is uh, content analysis. So it's leveraging data and insights that help um, inform our content decisions that really use to best optimize uh, customer acquisition, retention, and engagement. And then the last component, is global merchandising and scheduling. So that is, how is content gonna surface in the app, the sort of human component of that, the machine learning component, and then also uh, determining what our release calendar looks like, so when are we gonna be dropping our content, and how are we gonna be dropping that content, and then actually making sure that's scheduled. So those are the three main pieces. Okay, so the relaunch of the rebranded Max service, which, is, is significant for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being that it was it was one of the, I suppose, one of the reasons or one of the um, theses um, for the mega merger of um, Warner Media and Discovery, um, and this idea that by bringing all the wonderful scripted programming from one side, and then all the Discovery um, unscripted programming, you would super serve audiences and become, you know, an even more formidable player in the streaming in the streaming wars. Um, so in terms of bringing those two services together. Is it enormously technical? Um, I mean, I would leave that to Avi, who run, who's our CTO, but it is, there's a lot of work that's been going on in the back end to bring those two uh, products together and those two content offerings together at launch. But I think, you know, we're, we're, we're describing it as really an evolution versus a revolution. So for the current HBO Max subscriber, you know, some of them, they will see their, depending on their partner, they will see the Max app there. They can just immediately go in. Other people will have to uh, download the Max app and then uh, sign in. And so then it's going to be the best in category content, not just from HBO Max, but also from Discovery Plus really now in one 
single destination and a real like now a more diversified portfolio of brands and IP. So you know the must-have, most must-see programming from HBO, the Max Originals that we started to launch a few years ago that really are meant to broaden the audience. DC, Harry Potter, but then of course the Discovery brands, HGTV, TLC, all the content from Chip and Joanna Gaines, like Fixer Upper, all in one destination. Should we expect to see a, a programming shift or, or new programming priorities um, now that these two juggernauts in their own right have, have sure. been brought together? Well, I think it's really with this new product, it's about finding this sweet spot between the breadth of content and the quality of the content. And I think what the uh, user is going to experience is even more of an, an, an increased cadence of fresh content that's launching on the service. So we'll now have roughly 40 or more new titles or seasons in a given month when you look across the holistic content offering between, you know, like the lean-in uh, scripted content and then the lean-back content that's coming from Discovery. Is that, is that more than it was before or is that a, a similar yeah, as kind a, of Yeah, particularly for, you know, you know we, we expect the sort of biggest... Uh, metric of success, I think, early on is going to be, you know, how many subs from HBO Max are we migrating over, successfully migrating over to Max? Are they using this platform and increasing their hours of viewing? Or are they staying around longer? So for them, it's going to be experiencing not just the HBO and Max content they've come to know and love and that sort of cadence of new content, but now also layering on top of that all the unscripted content that's coming from Discovery across the Discovery Networks. Can you talk a bit about Max's um, curation strategies? Um, yeah. And one of the things that we talked about is you'll be kind of coupling human curation with machine yes. learning um, to basically to understand the consumer better and serve the consumer better. Like, what, what, what does that look like in sure. terms of what you're doing and what data you're crunching? Yeah, I think, you know, with Max and these sort of increased mosaic of brands means a even broader, wider catalog of content. So that's really where personalization and recommendations become even more important. Um, so whether it's you know exactly what you want to watch when you go into the app or you're looking for more personalized recommendations or you're really there to just explore and not know what you want to watch, it's really our job and also the sort of algorithm's job to help make sure we're getting the right piece of content to you at the right moment. Um, and it's really those two pieces, the human element, which is my team, and then the sort of algorithmic element working in concert together. And with, with HBO Max, um, you know, we were really leaned into the human curation piece of it. So we're taking the sort of best of what we learned from there and then coupling that with personalization. I think what the uh, Max subscriber is going to experience, particularly if the, the migrated sub who's used to HBO Max, is a much more personalized experience now. We're still going to be curating, you know, tentpole titles, you're still going to feel like, you know, with our HBO content, that is event programming, and it's still going to feel like an event when you go into that, that app, but also it's just going to feel more personalized to you. And so what you're going to be seeing is maybe very different than what, you know, someone even in your household is seeing when they, you know, log into their profile or, or so forth. So um, I think it's going to be that. It's going to be still sort of like when there's sort of seasonal things that we want to lean into, you know, actually Halloween is like a really big moment for us. And we do a lot of uh, human and bespoke curation. So you're still going to feel like this sort of bespokeness, but also it's just going to feel more personalized for you with the, not on day one, I would say, I think it's going to take a little time for uh, the, the learning to kick in the personalization based on what you're watching, but uh, we'll get there. How, how is AI going to change 
will it change your job or change change the role and the, the focus of how you oversee this uh, this launch of HBO? Yeah, I mean, Max, even, sorry. No, no, I think you know what, there's certainly more data that we're leveraging now to help strengthen um, both our content offering and the product experience, but. We see the, the data and its biggest value is in applying it to content slate allocation and mix. So sort of what sort of categories of content should we be investing in? What's the sort of efficiency of our spend? Um, where are we over-serving or under-serving particular audiences? But it's never being used to um, inform creative decisions. Like you cannot um, replace personal or taste, or human taste. Uh, so it's not gonna replace like the incredible job that Casey Bloys and his creative team does. Uh, that's not like how we are going to be leveraging um, data. You've talked a lot, quite a bit about how part of your role is to look at where to allocate um, resources. Um, are there any new territories that you're looking at with with the Max with the Max service? Um, and like, could or should we expect to see um, you looking to invest, you know, new resources in completely new territories that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean, you know, Max, we believe very much in it becoming a, a global brand, um, but also one with a local sensibility. And the prior, first we're gonna be rolling out uh, Max in the existing HBO Max territories. So I think we've, we've already talked about this publicly, but uh, LATAM in uh, later later this year, and then Europe in an APAC in 2024. So we'll start with those existing markets and then sort of expand from there into markets where we haven't had a footprint yet. But we're sort of do, going through that now um, and really identifying key markets where we're gonna focus our, our content dollars and take a few bigger swings and um, look at territories where we feel like we can make more of an impact with our our spend versus more like the peanut butter approach where you're really spreading your dollars everywhere and you're not really able to make an impact in any one territory. So we're, so we're going through that now. I can't you know, identify for you any particular market. Um, but the idea really is um, to the spending that we're gonna do outside of the US is to complement the sort of global original slate that we have. So there's the content that we know travels globally in a big way. Think about The Last of Us, uh, House of the Dragon, um, and the uh, international spend is really like, and then how can we have content that really builds local relevancy for audiences in that market via authentic stories? So whether it's, you know, um, you know, certain, there might be like certain genres that we might lean into that we feel like could travel globally, but it's also like stories that might have some recognition. So maybe scripted versions of like, you know, nonfiction. <laughs> and then also we've seen that true crime True crime documentaries have done really well um, in our existing HBO Max markets, but also there are, are certain sort of genres that we know sort of res resonate globally, like crime or, or soapy dramas, but it's really like, where can we have the most impact? So we'll be looking at things like uh, territories that have more of a preference for local language content, and what does the SVOD maturity look like in a particular market? looking at what's resonated competitively. I mean, there are a lot of variables that come into play when we're assessing um, where to spend. Um, what are some of the metrics for success for, for this launch? Like, do, do you have benchmarks? Like, obviously, in, the, in a prior iteration of the, of the streaming wars, um, subscriber numbers were, were the, the primary metric by which, by which everyone judged what was, what, was, you know, what was great and what wasn't. But now things have changed to, you know, it's slightly harder to measure perhaps because it's a lot of internal data, but right. um, engagement, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. churn, this kind of stuff. Like what, what exactly will yeah. benchmarks for success be for you? 
So in addition to what I mentioned earlier, which was, you know, on day one and then in the weeks after, how successfully are we migrating our current HBO Max subscribers to Max? Um, and then are they are we increasing engagement amongst our, those subscribers and are we are they staying around longer? So are we deepening audience engagement? Are we increasing hours of viewing? That's uh, a couple of the things that we're going to be looking at. Are we broadening audience appeal? What sort of feedback are we getting from our users uh, and also press? Like what is the response uh, to the new expanded uh, service? Um, and then also, HBO's ability to continue to like penetrate the culture and the zeitgeist will be something we'll of course be keeping an eye on. Um, and then also, are we successfully satisfying um, different you know viewing states? Because we know with this expanded catalog between the lean and the lean back, they're just like more. You know, we're hoping you're going to come to us. You know, more times of the week, uh, maybe than just Sunday. Yeah. Why why drop the HBO brand name um, and shift to solely Max? Sure. Um, so. The HBO brand and programming, you know, is really well understood and beloved globally, and it's our job really to to preserve and protect that, um, while also um, bringing in people who maybe previously didn't think HBO was for them, but now we have this expansive catalog, um, and I think, uh, you know. HBO is going to continue to be HBO. Casey's going to be has the creative freedom to have HBO continue to be HBO. And I think we saw with HBO Max that the the brand was able to successfully stretch into different uh, content categories that HBO wasn't previously playing in. So things like adult animation, also kids animation, and then um, some reality content. I think we really felt in this next iteration that, that the HBO brand really is not necessarily elastic enough to cover this much wider catalog of content. There is, as you might have heard, there's a writer's strike happening at the moment. Um, and it kind of co coincides with the, with the relaunch of the, of the HBO, uh, oh, sorry, of the Max brand in the US. Um, just when thinking about the pipeline, do you expect the, the writer's strike to disrupt the pipeline at all? And is, is that a concern? <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, going into Max launch, we do have um, a lot of scripted content that is already in the can, and that is the content that we'll be rolling out over the course of several months, and we'll have that coupled with this great, robust, unscripted offering uh, that will be, you know, continue to roll out. So we feel like we're well, well stocked. Um I want to talk a bit about fast channels as well. Um, anyone that listens to um, Warner Brothers Discovery investor calls, um, David Zaslav often often discusses or you know talks about fast and how he has big plans for it. He wants to really start utilizing the the library more effectively and monetizing it. Um, with the rebranded Max service, is there a chance that fast channels can be kind of funneled through? And can they live in that, in that Max ecosystem? Or is the, is the strategy for Fast for it to live separately um, yeah. outside of that? Right now, we're exploring. It's sort of, there's sort of two paths we're on with, with Fast right now. Um, a couple months ago, we launched around 14 or so Fast channels with Tubi and Roku, um, which showcased some of our WB classic content between movies and series, and then also a lot of the Discovery unscripted content. And so we are exploring, expanding, you know, uh, what that could look like if we expanded syndicated channels with uh, third-party partners. Um, and then also exploring uh, our own O&O. And I think JB might have mentioned that briefly on the last earnings call, that that's something that we're exploring. Um, but that would be sort of, a, it's a you know, little bit further 
down the road, but we're obviously doing a lot of planning around what that could look like um, and taking some of the learnings um, from the fast channels that we've syndicated out currently and you know maybe look to expand. And then that just increases our learnings as we sort of build towards an O&O um, and sort of optimize what that offering looks like. And I think, you know, Fast enables us to extend the life of our content, really also helps us monetize the long tail of our content. And we think it's really important to, that our stories reach as many people as possible, no matter you know, like where they can afford to meet us. Um, and so Fast is a way to sort of help us scale. Um, and our job and my team's job is to help determine what content you know, is best utilized for our SVOD and our AdLight platform versus what we wanna sort of utilize on the Fast end of things. So, Obviously, the content that's critical to uh, to pr minimizing churn will like remain on SVOD, but, but the content that's not really sort of impacting that, you know, is something that we look at leveraging and testing on the fast environment. Um, just for you personally, this is quite a, quite a crazy time of your life because I learned that um, you are you're in the process of moving from New York, um, where you've lived for twenty five years. Twenty five years <laughs> to LA like this week, pretty much. This week, yeah. I timed it perfectly between. Um, the launch of Max and then also moving because I'm just crazy and I want to make it all happen at once and be really stressed out because that's how I like to live my life. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I'm now, I, I mean, I, I'm, my stuff is out of New York and on its way here. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, yeah. Okay, so, and I, I, know, I know you don't, you don't take, actually we should clarify this as well, you don't take the pitches um, yourself. There are, you know, there are programming teams that uh, do all of that. I don't take the pitches. I can talk about how excited I am about the programming that we do have. So we have a really great pipeline coming up and I get excited to sort of plan it out. It's like one big puzzle and putting all the pieces together of this great content. Um, that's what I do in my job. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, this, the, there's a question, another question that actually ties into that. Um, how did you use the analytics and the data, or how are you, uh, are you using that to decide which shows to lead with um, for the launch? Yeah. So, I mean, our goal really right now is to offer a like wide variety of different types of content as we launch. So at launch, you will see everything from Shazam, uh, our pay one window will start on launch day, um, will be, and we, you know, with our pay one movies and our scripted originals, that is content that really helps to drive acquisition for the platform. Um, so of course we're going to be in season on succession. Uh, actually the succession finale will be a few days after Max launches. So we have a few. Was that, was that deliberate timing? Was that um, I don't know. I would say like totally deliberate, but it, uh, you know, it was, it was important that we not launch after Succession ended. <laughs> um, so we can, you know, ensure as we talk, think about migrating our subscribers over uh, while they're, you know, sort of in, in season on some of their favorite shows, it makes them more likely to uh, then go to the Mac, Max app if they do need to take action and download the app, right? So, um, so we'll be in season on some shows, but then we'll have the idol launching uh, the week following um, we have some really, I'm excited about some animated content that we're going to have launching. We have the Gremlins uh, series, which is fantastic. Uh, that will also launch. We have some great unscripted content. We have the Smartless guys. Uh, so Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. Um, and yeah, so it's just going to be this wide variety of content. Uh, so we really want to show the, you know, so the HBO Max subscriber that there's just more to love now with all this content coming together. Um, do you see that maybe Asian content could become a bigger part of the programming mix? And I think some of this is dependent on some of the learnings from the, from the initial yeah. rollout of the launch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially as we sort of get closer to launching uh, Max, 
in APAC. I mean, it is an important component to when we think about where we want to invest our content dollars. I mean, we see it now. I just finished The Glory, um, and I could not, I was, I could not, I, I, I just was binging that uh, like crazy. And, you know, like, there's been a lot written about uh, the content that's coming out of Asia, and it's really high quality. It's great. And so it's absolutely something that's, you know, that we're talking about and is part of, as I mentioned earlier, as we're thinking about identifying mark key markets and where we're going to um, invest our content dollars, Asia is part of that mix. I think many have opined that there are too many streaming services overall and, um, and that some consolidation will need to take place over, over the next two years or, or five years. I think on stage yesterday someone said you know, they thought they would see a lot of, um, uh, Richard Goldsmith from Thunderbird said he expected to see a lot of consolidation over the next two years. I suppose the Max service is kind of an example of, of that consolidation yeah. taking place, but maybe it's taking off your Warner Brothers Discovery hat um, and looking at the rest of the streaming landscape, do you expect to see, um, you know, companies combining and do you expect the, the crop of global streamers to become slightly smaller over the next two to five years? I mean, it does feel a little bit like where it's heading potentially, but I just, you know, I wish I had the crystal ball to say. I just think every year I get more and more surprised about what's happening just at the market at large, things that maybe you didn't sort of expect to happen. So it's hard to really speculate. I think the, the focus that I have in sort of sitting where I sit on the content side is, and the thing that gives me comfort is it just feels like no matter what has been happening in this industry, particularly from a distribution perspective or a lot of this, you know, various mergers that have happened with various media companies throughout the year is like the quality bar for content keeps getting higher. The amount of like high quality content that's out there keeps getting broader. There's so much content me personally as a consumer that I want to watch, not just on HBO Max, but on other streamers as well. And so I think that's something that always emits the chaos sometimes. What's happening in the market to me feels like a constant and I think is going to continue to be a constant. If, if a producer is able to bring some kind of analytics with a show that they're pitching to a, a, um, to Max or to one of your teams, is that preferred? If, if, a, if a producer comes with some kind of analytic, analytics or data to show you know, market market interest? Or sure. I mean, that <clears throat> maybe that would help. We'd also do our own uh, analysis as well. You know, we have people, I mean, I sit here in Los Angeles, but I have teams globally um, and generally for the D2C org, we have teams globally, but that really can do that analysis. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure any analysis is welcome when those projects come in and then we'll sort of uh, complement it with ours though to have like a really robust picture because, you know, we have our own data too as well that we're going to want to look at uh, to help determine, you know. Yeah. Um, when you look at the future of, of, the, streaming, of the streaming sector, um, obviously we know what streaming services look like today. Um, Let's think long term. If you look ten, if you look a decade ahead, um, do you see that will streaming services look and feel as they do today, or is there some new version or iteration of streaming services, streaming bundles? I don't know, some kind of some kind of other technology yeah. that we've not yet um, gotten our heads around. Like, what, what will streaming yeah. look like in ten years' time? Well, also, if I did have that crystal ball, then I would be really rich because I would be able to forecast all of it. And then, but no, I think. Um, again, like I think there's still going to be the constant, uh, constant of the, con the sort of quality of the content that we're seeing now. I would imagine more bundling. I also, I think, I mean, it's talk, talk about it for years, but I know there's still, you know, a lot of 
companies, not, not our company, but just sort of tech companies that are hard at work at interactive, what are sort of interactive components could be woven into these streaming platforms, gaming as well, what is like sort of the intersection between gaming and the sort of long form video content that we have, um, especially now as you know, we see IP between like Last of Us would be a great example of sort of adaptations of video games. So like how, do, how could that all come together? So I think that's just one area that we'll probably see more exploration and more testing. So maybe 10 years from now, a lot more interactivity. Yeah. Um, going through this whole process, what have, was there anything that completely shocked you or surprised you um, yeah. when you were combining these two services? Yeah. What were some of the, the biggest takeaways? Well, come back to me in a few weeks when we see like what the dynamics are of the engagement on the platform and if anything surprises us there. Because right now it's just been us in the behind the scenes, you know, p putting these two uh, content offerings together, you know, based on some of our own research, sort of making certain assumptions. So we'll have those assumptions validated. But I think, what, you know, we know that our viewers, our subscribers are very multifaceted and they don't just watch any one thing. Um, so we've learned that they watch a variety of things. And especially now with more of this content uh, coming in from Discovery, this is unscripted content, you know, we want to speak to all versions of our user. And I think some of the other learnings are, you know, every piece of content has a job to do or multiple jobs to do, um, whether it's to drive acquisition, to supercharge engagement, to broaden the appeal of the service, to satisfy a certain mood. Um, and we'll see, you know, when we bring these two content offerings together, does that change sort of this sort of the role that maybe some of the discovery content had played on D+, does it play a different role here? Same thing with the HBO Max content, so that there's gonna be more to learn from there, but that, that's some of the learnings that we've had to date. When you think about the Max service in two years time, um, where do you hope where do you hope it is? Like, are you looking for a big increase in subscribers? Or like, for you personally, what, what do you want to see in two years that, would, that you'd say, okay, yeah. I, I did everything as I should have done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want it all. I mean, yes, I think we, uh, growth as we roll out, I mean, the sort of international rollout of Max is going to be critical to the health and the growth of our business. <laughs> so that's where we're gonna see the growth is really in international. Um, so right now it's like uh, really for in the US, it's like we still feel like there's there's room to grow, but also bringing down churn, you know, more increase of hours of viewing and, and really deepening the engagement on our platform. Um, so yeah, in two years time, you know, we expect to see growth. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think what, what one of the things I'm starting to understand is um, how pivotal this could be in dictating what the international strategy and how the how the mix of programming between the US and international could change but I think a lot of that will be kind of dependent on some of the data that you yeah. um, come to learn from Yeah the I think there, there's the data there's some of the content there's like sort of the foundational parts components of the content offering that really work we see them work across the globe so whether that's some of like the tentpole originals pay one movies, we know movies are, theatrical movies are very important. Um, and so those, you'll see a lot of consistency there, but like I said earlier, it's then just building that local relevancy in each territory, um, in each market. Uh, so th there's that local flavor in addition to sort of having the consistency, you know, in terms of the foundational slate that we know sort of resonates and generates a lot of buzz on a global basis. Fantastic. Uh, Meredith, thank you so much for uh, talking you. to us. Thank you. Thank you everyone.
Lauren Anderson is the head of Avod Original Content and Programming for Amazon Studios, overseeing all programming including creative development, production, licensing, scheduling, research and strategy for Amazon Freebie and Prime Video's ad-supported fast linear channels. Additionally, she also has oversight of the company's unscripted programming across all of studios, including SVOD and AVOD. The exec was among the speakers at C21's Content LA, and together with Freevee unscripted creative executive Jenny Falkoff, talked with Jordan Pinto about their present unscripted priorities and how they assess whether a project is best for SVOD, AVOD or both. Freevee has really ramped up um, its unscripted output um, over the past 12 months, 18 months, and I, so I think this is a really great time to, to chat with you both. Um, the unscripted part of Amazon Studios is obviously an enormous you know, a huge enterprise now. Um, so I think it would be helpful if you could just give us a sense of, Lauren and Jenny, what your, what your roles are and how they kind of play, play into the bigger picture here. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so the team that I oversee is focused on a few things. One, all of our AVOD originals, so scripted and unscripted. So that includes Freebie. It's not exclusive to Freebie, but it is primarily Freebie. VOD content and fast license content. So that's one part of what I do. And then unscripted as a whole for Freebie and for Prime Video. And then targeted content. And so for us, what that means is uh, we're really focused on our faith-based audience. We're focused on multicultural audiences. And so that content as well is also living inside of that space. So I'm doing a number of things. And Jenny is honestly like right hand on unscripted. And so when we brought the teams together in, um, I think it was August of last year, it used to be a separated Freebie and Prime Video unscripted team. We are now all one unscripted team. And yeah, exactly. So historically, um, since I've started at Amazon, I've been more across the Freebie side. So our ad-supported unscripted programming. Um, but now that we've merged into one team, we're definitely all working really close together, closely together to oversee our unscripted programming strat strategy across both services and fast channels. And Jenny, you were just mentioning that you are you were an, um, an independent producer for 10 years for, before joining Amazon about two years ago. So you, yeah. you've been in the weeds of the uh, independent production community as well. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's really fun having been on both sides and now being able to kind of incorporate that knowledge from my independent production days into the role of buying and overseeing shows. Mm -hmm. Um, let's just talk a bit about some of the tailwinds behind the, the AVOD business today. Freebie is not, um, is not on its own here. You know, we have services like Roku, like Tubi, that are specifically in the AVOD space. And then you know, clearly the Disneys, the Netflixes are also moving into the space. W what are some of the tailwinds that you're seeing behind, behind the, uh, the shift to ad-supported that are kind of helping propel, propel your growth? Sure. I mean, I'd say for Freebie in particular, and I've used this joke a lot, so I'll use it again, but yes, it's... AVOD, but it's also the fact that we are free. It's in the name, free is the best price point, and I think that is what is helping propel us, that we are uniquely offering really premium, high-end, scripted and unscripted content, and we're offering it completely for free. So I do talk about the AVOD space, but I really want to underline the fact that Freebie is offering all of this content, not as an AVOD tier at, at a paid point, but completely free. So that's been really exciting for us. And then I think the growth across the industry around fast channels in particular has also been fantastic. So it's this combination of being able to offer really great content on the on-demand side, but also offering 
so many things, whether it's single title channels, genre-focused channels, on the fast side, those two things together has been incredibly, I think, compelling for customers and for viewers. And then, of course, we're inside of what I believe is the best video service in the world, which is Prime Video. So with, with Amazon Freebie, you have Amazon Freebie as its own standalone offering, but it's also part of Prime Video. So the three of those things together, I think, have really been part of what's helping to propel uh, Freebie as a service. Um, what is the content vision for Freebie today? You know, the, especially the, the AVODs, they're, they're, they're so new in all of this. You, you, um, you've, Freebie has only been commissioning um, originals for three years, which is you know, no time at all, really, in the, in the scheme of things. Um, and you know, you're doing a fantastic job of coming to define what a, what a Freebie show is. Like how, today, how would you describe um, the, the, the content vision for Freebie? How would you define it, Jenny? I would say that since, since uh, Freebie's inception, a big part of the strategy was sort of to be a modern broadcaster because we really wanted to bring in shows that you would traditionally find on um, broadcast or cable, but create them for a streaming audience. Um, so I think that that's been a really big piece of it. And then I think since the beginning, and Lauren brought in Judy Justice, which is a huge hit for us. I mean, we're going to we just recently announced that we're going to do seasons three and four, so, and we're going to keep expanding the Judy universe, as we say. Um, so I think that um, it's been a really big priority for us to be day part agnostic. Um, a lot of the streamers historically hadn't looked at shows that cater to a more daytime audience. Um, and that was a really great way to kind of bring over an existing customer base, but also refresh a brand in a really unique way so that people could kind of warm up to the service and learn about what we were doing and see something familiar but delivered in a different way. Um, and I think with that, we've just tried to really build out shows that, that speak to different audiences and, again, like that you would find on traditional linear or broadcast. And IP has been a big part of our strategy, familiar faces, um, just to really build a strong customer base so that we can continue to grow and expand. And the only thing I would add to that is we want people to have fun. Yeah. When they watch our shows, when they come to the service, we want you to have fun. We want you to escape. We want you to have a good time. TV should be enjoyable. And you know, Jenny hit on this idea of being a, a broadcaster. So um, while we're gonna be focused on Unscripted today, as I said, we also, I program scripted um, on both the Prime Video and on the Freebie side. We launched today our new half hour comedy Primo coming from Mike Schur and Shay Serrano. And it's great. It's just great and fun and family oriented. It's meant for the whole family. And we are excited about that. We had jury duty launch last month, and again, that was, we hope, I like that, I always say that whenever I hear that, thank you. Um, we hope you had a good time with that. We hope that we did something new and fresh and original, but that you also had a good time, you felt something, and you had a good time. So that's also, I think, a hallmark of, of our shows on both the scripted and, the, and on the unscripted side. Um, I think the Judy verse, which I, I, that's brilliant. Um, do you... You, you said you wanted to kind of move into kind of daytime programming. Did, which way around did things happen? Did you know that you wanted to move into daytime programming and then you saw the chance to revive um, the ju Justice Judy or did, was it on the service and then you realized how much it was resonating and you realized there was an opportunity in daytime? Uh, if not, if all not. of the above. Yeah. So here's what I would say. That I, I will say, and I'm so proud to say, that I was a fan of Judge Scheinlin before I was in this role. I think it is hard to ignore someone who has been so dominant, so strong, so consistent, has such a broad fan base for so long. 
And I considered myself one of those fans. When it was time to build out the programming strategy and the content strategy for Freebie, and this is the thing, Unscripted has been part of our strategy from the very beginning, from the very beginning. And so when I looked at that opportunity and the fact that we had the opportunity to have Judge Scheinland do a show for us, absolutely could not pass that up. At the same time, as we were going through and I was talking about sort of what, what, what can Freebie do uniquely inside of Amazon, but also when you're looking sort of around, that was one of the opportunities that it did feel as if the majority of streaming was really focused on that prime time, that prime time sector of programming. And so, yes, we could absolutely do something in daytime. So it was a bit of all of it, I would say. And then I would also just say, by the way, just Judy is also fun. So that's the thing too, when I talk about fun programming and people having a good time, yes, you learn something. Every, I learn something every single time I watch an episode of Judy. Right? Like she, and she loves that. She, it is a big part of what she's doing. She wants to teach her audience something. But she's funny. That's why she's lasted for so long in TV and that she's had such a, an audience. She's really funny and enjoyable. So that also fits into, when I'm talking about enjoyable programming, Judy's a part of that too. One thing I just have to say about Judy too, it's having worked in production for a long time. I mean, I've been on so many sets where you stop and you go and you stop and you go and like until you do it, you can't imagine like the delays and all of those things. And the way that Judy makes the show is so unbelievable. I mean, we could air it live if we needed to. She is so sharp. She is so wonderful. And just to see it all come together, like her, she is super loyal to her production team who she's been with forever. So just seeing it, it is such a well-oiled machine and it's just like one of the coolest things I've seen in production. Are you considering rolling out Judy as a global format? Different Judys in different countries? Interesting. <laughs> That's very, I mean, so she is, uh, our show, Judy Justice, is available across the territories in which Freebie exists. So US, UK, Germany, and Austria as of uh, the last month or so. And then local Judy's. That's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't, I don't know if she can quite be uh, replicated in that way. I was way. thinking the same thing. It's hard to find Judy's everywhere, but maybe. Okay. Um, and that brings me nicely on to um, the next question about the, the various territories that you're in. So it's the US, the UK, Germany, and now Austria as well. Um, are you looking for programming that appeals specifically to those singular markets, or do you take a more global approach um, in a way that you're looking for the shows you commission in those local territories to appeal equally to, uh, to all the other territories that Freebie is available? You know, I would say it's a little bit of both. So we certainly, when we're commissioning in the U.S., we're commissioning in the U.S. with an eye towards things working in other territories. So Judy does incredibly well for us outside of the U.S. Hollywood Housewife with Jeff Lewis does incredibly well for us outside of the U.S., that said, we also want to obsess over our audiences in each territory. And so that could mean if we're doing a show, one of the very first shows that we commissioned, which did incredibly well in the US, Luke Bryan, My Dirt Road Diary, it's really relevant here. And he has a big audience around the world, but it was a, a show that was meant for our US audience and in particular meant for um, you know, we'll take a regional approach really meant to over-engage the southeast of the country. So we do the same thing uh, outside of the U.S. So our German originals team, our U.K. originals team, very much focused on making sure that not only are the U.S. commissions working in their territories, but how do we also 
uh, obsess over what their particular audience and customer wants, and we're complementing the things that are commissioned for the world with things that are really meant to be uh, meant to be local. And we do that on the Prime Video and on the Freebie side. I was so excited. I looked in the audience, and two of our uh, fantastic unscripted executives, our um, unscripted production executives, are here and supporting us today. And we have a title, LOL, which started as Elemental in Japan that now has gone to a number of territories. And that, it works in a lot of other places, but it's really about the French-Canadian version or the, the French version or, so, or the Australian version. We do both. We do both, and it's really important, I think, as a service and as a global service that we're doing both always. Um. Even though we're talking about unscripted today, one of the elephants in the room is, is, the, is the writer's strike that's taking, part, uh, taking place at the moment. Um, it could have a, could have a knock-on effect, you know, as, as we know, on, on all parts of, of the industry. Um, has your unscripted programming strategy altered as a result of the strike, or do you foresee that happening? Well, I mean, it's as I have said, unscripted was a part of our strategy from the very beginning. So in addition to Judy Justice, uh, which I've already referenced, or Luke Bryan, which I've referenced, Top Class, which is a, a, a high school basketball series that we do with Uninterrupted, these were all part of our very first commissions. And so we see that unscripted resonates. It resonates in originals, licensed, fast channels, and that's something we plan to continue and something, again, that we have been doing from the very beginning. Um, about, uh, I forget how many weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, there was, there was a new uh, slate of shows that were announced. Um, some of them, well, one of them was a adaptation of the UK, which is kind of a hybrid, like a panel, kind of a panel uh, comedy primetime show, uh, Mock the Week. There was The Goat. Um, maybe, maybe tell us a bit about uh, some of that new programming that you've announced. Yeah. We're super excited um, about our new programming, which is sort of an expansion on what we've already been doing. Um, we had a lot of success with our um, cooking competition show, America's Test Kitchen, The Next Generation. And that was sort of our first foray into cooking competition, but saw that that type of programming really resonated and um, gave us an opportunity to look at our first house reality competition show, which is The GOAT. Um, it is super fun. It is really a celebration of the reality TV genre, which has now been around for like 25 years, which is crazy because I think, you know, we still think of it as being the wild, wild west in a lot of ways, but it's really something that's been around for a really meaningful around, amount of time now. And um, it is a mashup of 14 huge reality stars from different um, genres. So we have a housewife, Jill Zarin, in the cast. We have Davon Rogers from Big Brother. We have Lauren Speed Hamilton from season one of Love is Blind. And it's just this amazing mix of people that you would never expect to see in the same room together, nor have they ever had a reason to, to be together before. But we gave them one. <laughs> but we gave them one. Um, and we wrapped production last month, and it was just like I was boots on the ground when we shot. And it was so fun to see them all kind of fan out over each other and be so surprised as each person walked in the door. Um, and it's just going to be a really fun show. The challenges sort of um, are a really fun nod to the different genres of reality we've seen before. So the survivalist genre, the talent show, the medical genre. I mean, all of these things that have been so commonplace and how we talk about reality TV, but kind of all deserve their own celebration in a way. Um, and Tosh hosts that show. So we all, we were really, really particular about how we went on this search for a host. And I think at a service or a network, it's always really difficult to figure out like 
who is the right person to really nail the tone of the show and bring something new to this? And so it really feels distinct in a crowded marketplace. And I think as soon as we all started talking about Tosh, it just felt so obvious that he brings this like fun, this silliness, but also you know, a cleverness, which is often sort of forgotten about, I think, in reality TV. I think you kind of don't realize how clever all of these housewives and all these people are who are constantly producing themselves and thinking about how to keep themselves relevant and smart. Um, so Tosh just really nailed the tone of this in such a fun way. And I think that there are going to be a lot of surprises. Um, so I'm just really, really excited about how that all came together. Um, Can I also just say really quickly about Daniel Tosh, which I think is important as well, and I think of it a lot when I think about Andy Cohen, there's also such a reverence and an appreciation for both the genre and those participating inside of the genre. And I think that to your point about how we've thought about reality over the years, there was a time where it was called alternative and everyone called it alternative. And so then the question is alternative to what? And I think now really understanding this is really fun, again, fun, engaging. This is, people are enjoying watching these shows. And so what I loved about Daniel is that he loves it. He loves reality TV. And so you see how much he leans into it and how he's having a good time with it. What was the reason for picking up uh, or adapting Mock the Week uh, for the US market? I said, what was the reason? Like, what, what about it appealed to you? Do you, do you like the show? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, yeah, a big. Are you a fan? I was a big fan. I live in. I've lived in Canada for about eight years now, so it's not as accessible to me. But yeah, it's it was on British TV all the time, and like in reruns, and like people would watch the reruns. But yeah, it's a very popular, very popular format. I mean, I will say like that's part of the reason. You know, we wanted to when we think about and Judy Justice is a is a really good example of this as well. Hollywood Housewives to some extent as well that we want and believe in this idea of IP inside of Unscripted. And that can come from big, broad formats, um, shiny floor game shows, all of that. It can be that, but it can also be in this forum. And so I think this idea of familiarity was something that was important to us. I can't say the word fun enough. I mean, I really think that's part of what brings people back because they know they're gonna have a good time watching. And so it fits in with the other things that we're doing. Mock the Week can fit in next to Jury Duty, can fit in next to some of that, uh, some of the other programming. I think the other thing is about urgency. So we all know that there's a lot of competition for our time. And that competition isn't coming just from other television shows. It's coming from a lot of other things. And so the more topical we can be and the more relevant we can be, hopefully that's also the thing that's going to help people lean in and, and say, oh, I have to watch this now. So it's all of that. The producers are fantastic. So thrilled to have Trevor as a part of it. I mean, there are just so many reasons why we're thrilled to have the show. America's Test Kitchen. Um, anything that we should know about that one? I think for this one, we were just sort of in the same vein of what we spoke about with Judy. Like, we were so excited at the opportunity to refresh a really beloved brand. Um, And ATK has been around forever, and I think that they have a really dedicated audience of home cooks. And we really seized the opportunity to try to bring a really young, diverse cast to this to infuse some fresh blood into the brand. Um, And when I was there, I just thought that it was so fun to watch these ATK chefs who've been around for a really long time and have such an encyclopedic knowledge of cooking and how to make that palatable to the home chef 
working with these young amateur chefs and really like seeing that dialogue and both kind of making each other better, I think was really fun. And I think to Lauren's point, again, it's a show, it's a competition show, but it's really rooted in, um, it, it doesn't have a super competitive spirit, even though it's high stakes and the prize is so wonderful. I think they want to see each other succeed, which is something that you don't see as much on competition shows. So I think it just feels tonally fresh also. Um, and our host, Jeannie Mai, is super, super fun, brings the most energy to everything that she does. Um, so she was another really fun piece of that show. Two things also struck me. In particular, when we're thinking about Unscripted on the freebie side versus the Prime Video side. So one of those things really is this idea of um, accessibility. And so America's Test Kitchen, and we really wanted a competition for home cooks. That was what we went into this with. And when we were having the conversation about who is the right brand partner for that, it was because we think that there is absolutely uh, a world, <clears throat> a more elevated competition cooking world that exists. And we love that world too. But it felt like this was a space that was missing something. And we thought that this could be a great, again, brand to partner with. But also we wanted to bring that to just the everyday viewer and the everyday audience member. But the other thing about it was this idea of what can we uniquely do at Amazon? And so when I look at um, ATK and I think about some of the other aspects of that show, we had this great partnership with Tostitos. We were able to connect to other parts of our company and, and the business. That was something that was also really exciting for us with ATK. And I think when we're thinking about other shows, it is something that is in our minds. How do we connect to other parts of the company in a way that's very unique to, 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 our, to our organization? You've told us that you're you're kind of broadening out some of the uh, some of the, the commissioning. Um, the, the remit is certainly broadening out a bit. Specifically, which, which genres of content um, are, are you commissioning in? Like people, you know, here we've got so like reality reality shows, game shows, singing, physical game shows. Uh, are, are there any particular um, genres that you're especially looking at? So here's the thing. There's nothing that's off limits, and I, you know, Jenny should weigh in here. There's nothing that's off limits. Our goal is to program for everyone at the end of the day. That is our goal. And with two services, one in front of the paywall and one behind the paywall, then we can play in very different ways. So a show like Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, that was a prime video show, but then we also windowed it on Freebie. Rihanna Savage X Fenty, a prime video show that now with the influx of originals on Freebie, that's one of the shows there. So we can play with different things in different places and different spaces. I think on the Freebie side, we're really excited to double down on cooking by way of example. So food and cooking is gonna be a big area for us. Competition is a big area for us, but there's really nothing that's off limits. I mean, I'd say, Jenny, what are you getting really excited about from a pitch standpoint? I think a lot of things, but I think that, I think that we're, thinking now about going into game more meaningfully, which is an area we haven't done much in yet. We've had acquisitions on our service that have performed well, but we haven't actually built our first original game show. Um, so we're working on some of that, which we're super excited about. And then I think there's also a conversation around expanding our day part agnostic offerings. So obviously we're moving more into the Judyverse with um, Tribunal Justice and with Justice on Trial, which also comes from the judge, which will go into production next year. Um, but I think that we're also looking at things that you would maybe traditionally see on late night or other day parts that aren't even just daytime or traditional prime time. So I think that there's always an appetite for us to do more and looking at how we can differentiate ourselves from other services. Um, when you say late night, 
do you mean like you know traditional like a the kind of late night shows that we would see on network television or I think all kinds of different things and I think we're still sort of working that out and figuring out how to optimize that sort of day part but yeah things that you would maybe see past you know nine or ten o'clock and um just figuring out what is the best fit for the service and what will work with our customers. With Judy, what we were able to see, of course, is that before we did Judy, there hadn't been, you know, it's a large order show. It's a daily show in streaming. And so now that we see we can do it and we can do it well, now the sky's the limit, right? So we are looking at what you'd consider, consider traditional daytime or traditional late night, but also how can we play with those time periods in very specific ways and ways that are engaging um, to the audience. The other thing I think is really important to note, and I've, I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll say it again, which is I think that when we're having conversations about unscripted, we tend to put sports over to the side, but I like to bring sports right into the middle of the unscripted conversation because they are the ultimate unscripted programming. And so I'd say both with the growth of live sports on Prime Video, then we have an opportunity to program with and around a lot of that and to complement a lot of what we see happening there, as well as to think about what are the, um, what are the titles that make sense just in front of the paywall, just behind the paywall, or both. So we're looking at that as well. Okay, that's really interesting. So just on, on the sports front, are, are these future plans that you are about to begin exploring or are you already kind of working on some, do you have some things cooking currently that you probably can't tell us about? <laughs> I love that. You probably can't tell us about. So I would, here's what I would say, that something like, again, Top Class was one of the very first shows that we, um, that we went, that we partnered on and we have more coming in that space. And then yes, there, the answer is yes. Can't quite share it yet, but there are a lot of things that we're working on because we don't want to ignore the fact, and why would we want to? Like, what's more exciting than whether it's, I'm a huge tennis fan, I'm a, I'm a huge every sports fan, but I'm a huge tennis fan, basketball fan, football fan. Let's make sure that we're programming in, the, in that space as well. Um, and then just on, on game shows as well, um, is, is that, an, you mentioned that's an area you're looking into. Is that something where you will be going out and looking for game show ideas or do you already have some things cooking? Because I think game shows in an AVOD um, ecosystem is a really interesting idea as we kind of see the migration from, uh, from traditional linear to, to AVOD. Um, yeah, I think you know, game shows clearly seem like a very natural fit. Yeah, no, I think that they definitely are. And I think we have a couple of things in the cooker that we can't talk about yet, but that you'll hopefully see at some point. Um, and then I think that um, it's really about us looking at the content and determining the best place for it once it's made and having that conversation based on the performance metrics of other similar types of programming on those services. Uh, are there any types of unscripted that you're not looking for? Like, it does seem like you do have a fairly broad palette of, of interest, but is there anything... Not, not that... good and not engaging. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, from a category standpoint, we're looking for everything. So it's, in some ways, it's easy to say we want this, this, and this, and we don't want this. But that thing that you say you don't want from, let's say, the right producers or executed a very specific way then all of a sudden you want it. So that's why I hesitate to ever say there's something that's off the table um, because it's all about execution. It's all about delivery. A lot of it is about timing. And then it's also about audience. So again, when we're talking about the sports conversation and when you're saying sort of where would, it's really about where is the audience and what is the audience leaning leaning into. And so understanding that the audience leans into football, leans into basketball, leans into F1, then we're also, we are first and foremost 
obsessing over our audiences and our customers and looking at what the opportunities are there. So what we may not want today, if the audience wants it, then we also want it. Can you speak to series budget ranges for um, unscripted TV series for Amazon Studios and, and or Freebie? I will say competitive with other services and networks. <laughs> um, what, is, what is the best way for a producer to um, you know, get their show in front of you? So it's funny, I was having a conversation with someone right before this. So just as a matter of policy, we hear pitches. We can only really hear pitches from agents, managers, producers with whom we've worked in the past. Um, if there is an idea, there are other potential ways, but generally that's it. And then we also, you know, one of the things I want to uh, credit Jenny and the team with and the way in which we work collectively is that we are as interested in hearing pitches as we are proactively saying, these are the ideas, these are the worlds, these are the things that we want, and then going out and finding partners. So it happens in both directions, which I think is, is important to note. And, and, and so there are people who have received, and Jenny has stories of, around this as well, who have received just cold calls from us because we are interested in doing a thing and we think that they're the best partner to do that with. Let's talk a bit about your fast strategy as well. Um, you know, Freebie has, you know, I, I don't know how many channels, but I know there are, you have many, many, many um, different fast channels and you, you kind of splice things up in different ways. Can you talk to us about how the, what the, the fast strategy looks like and how it's been evolving? Sure. So we have hundreds of channels and the way that we look at fast, it's a, a few things. Some of it is about a different distribution channel and really just saying that we understand that audiences like to watch TV in a variety of different ways. So sometimes you have very clear intention around what you want, you go and you find that show, you press, press play, whatever, and you're gonna watch that show. But sometimes you want a more lean back experience. And so for us, the fast strategy and fast channels are about giving audiences that more traditional lean back experience. The other thing that we're really focused on with fast is selection, you can just, we can expand our selection in such amazing and incredible ways. And so that's one of the other things we really love about Fast. And then the other part of this is being able to target programming. So I think as I referenced earlier, you can do the single title channels, which I love. So Judy Justice, by way of example, as a uh, video on demand title asset, whatever word you want to use, does incredibly well for us. People watch it as soon as we release new episodes and they love it. But you know what else does incredibly well? the Judy Justice Fast channel. So it is people want to just watch Judy all day and just have it run without having to toggle back and forth. Or, so we, we want to give people the experience that they want. That's really what Fast is about for us, giving our audiences and our customers the type of viewing experience they want. Um, okay, we've got a few minutes here, so I'm going I'm to pick up the pace here. Um, documentary features, is, is that anything that would be potential on the freebie side or is that more something that you consider as as more kind of existing in the prime video world i think again it like it really just depends on the pitch and the timing based on what else we find is working on our services um so i think it's really like i think like lauren said nothing is off limits and it's really a case-by-case -case based basis based on what the feature is yes we have examples so post malone yeah. runaway was a documentary feature that we had on freebie but we obviously have far more of them 
on the Prime Video side. Yeah. So it really just depends. Documentary series probably lean more heavily into the freebie side versus the Prime Video yeah. side. It all, but it, it depends. Lula Rich was a documentary series on Prime Video. So as Jenny says, there are examples and it really depends on, again, who are we going after? Who is the audience or the customer for the show? And where do we think we're going to find them best? Or put a different way, where are they going to find the title best? So maybe that's on Freevee, maybe that's on Prime Video, maybe it's both. Um, Freevee is in four territories currently. Should, could or should we expect to see that number increase? Yes. Because we're in four territories, um, I have someone asking... Um, can you talk about buying unscripted formats? Um, do you always want to take kind of global rights to the format, or is it possible to carve out um, certain, certain rights or for certain territories? I think, again, it's like an anything is possible situation. I think it depends on the appetite for our, the format. So if it's, a, if it's a format that performs super well in certain territories and we can't maintain, we can't get worldwide rights, I think it's definitely a conversation that's not going to, it's not going to be a, deal breaker for us. I think it really just depends how much we want it and how it would make sense with our existing strategy. And I would also say, and even to the last question, if you put these two questions together, Freevee exists in four territories. Prime Video is a, world, a fully worldwide service. So we have multiple examples of shows that are on Freevee territories and then in either select Prime Video territories or Prime Video worldwide. So to reference some scripted examples, Bosch Legacy is a worldwide series. It's on Freevee and Freevee's territories and then it's on Prime Video rest of world. High School is a show we did that we released between the two services. That's a model that we really like. And again, it goes back to this idea of being inside of just such an incredible uh, global company and, and video service. So we can play around with both rights and territories, that sort of thing. When you look longer term to the next 12 or 24 months, what, what are your goals for the, um, you know, for the evolution of the service? And I suppose, what, what, are, some of the, what are some of the challenges that, um, that will prevent you from getting to, you know, to achieve those, those goals? I think it's a big question, but I think over the next 12 months, we're super excited to launch, you know, The Goat, our first big show in that vein. I think we're super excited to do our first topical show with Mock the Week because we actually haven't done that on, we actually haven't done that really. So I think it'll be a really great experience to learn how to do that and just kind of continue to refine our skills launching those types of programming. Um, and then I think sort of, again, like game is an area we want to expand in, cooking, um, day part agnostic programming, and I think the sky's the limit. We want to do, we're really open. Like, I think it's really just about finding those big formats and smaller shows, too, that we feel like will really resonate with our audience. And the challenge, I would say, is time and attention, the thing that we said earlier. I mean, there are so many things vying for everyone's time, and we want to make sure that we're creating things that are worthy of people giving us their, their hour, their five hours, their... 40 hours, so... Um, I think Hopefully not all in one go. Or, or maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we do want it all in one go. I don't know, Jordan. Um, okay, uh, everyone, uh, please give a warm round of applause to Lauren and Jenny. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much, guys. Alison Wallach is president of Unscripted Programming at Fox Entertainment, responsible for overseeing the US network's unscripted programming specials and alternative development slate.
Gordon Ramsay Studio Ramsay Global, entertainment brand TMZ, and in-house unscripted studio Fox Alternative Entertainment all fall under her remit. And she spoke to Claire Atkinson at C21's Content LA about this, her present programming strategy, hunt for new formats, and approach to working with the international marketplace. So, Alison, I saw you at the Upfronts in New York. You were on stage with Gordon Ramsay, Michael Strahan, a whole host of Fox talent. Um, how's your week been? You've been on planes, you've been premiering shows to advertisers. It's, it's been a little nutty. And to yeah. tell you the truth, I was super nervous about this until I had to do that. And now I'm so happy <laughs> to be here with everybody. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're here today to tell us about Fox, um, both here in the, in the US and internationally, um, how things have been changing. A couple of years ago, Fox sold a lot of its assets to Disney. Um, Fox set off then under CEO Lachlan Murdoch onto a new path. And recently, you've been pushing towards growth in global and making sure that you are uh, well integrated into the, the global television business. Um, but first, tell us about you. Tell us about your role. It looks like you have a 1,000 jobs. Um, I'm just looking at my sheet here. You are... Um, working for the network, you work for Fox Animated Entertainment, you run uh, Studio Ramsey, you run TMZ. Oh my gosh, you should get like five paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, the, the simple way of putting it is I, I oversee all the unscripted programming for Fox. So that means um, I oversee unscripted for the network. Um, so as a buyer, we can buy from anyone. Um, and then I am fortunate enough to oversee our studios. So that's Fox Alternative Entertainment, our in-house studio. Uh, studio Ramsey Global, which is a co-venture um, with Gordon Ramsay. And TMZ. Um, I oversee TMZ. That's a lot of personalities. T tell us about the challenge of working with all of these people. You know, I feel really fortunate. Um, it, 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 there are big personalities. You know, Gordon Ramsay is a force. He's amazing. The man manages to work 48 hours for every day, um, literally. Like, if you ask him what he's doing in two years on this day, he could look at his calendar and tell you this is where he'll wow. be. Wow. Yeah. How many shows does he have going? Do you have any idea off the top of your head? I know that's a tough one. The top of my head. Well, there's Hell's Kitchen. There's uh, Master Chef. There's Next Level Chef. Mm -hmm. There's uh, Gordon Ramsay Food Stars um, on Fox here, but he does that in the UK as well. Um, there is uh, there's probably like six or seven shows. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting like two of two or three of them. Mm -hmm. but yeah. That's enough, right? Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about you. How did you get this job? You were an agent, you were at Lifetime, you were at BBC, and you just inherited your boss's job, right? I, I've done a little bit of everything. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I started um, way back when as an agent trainee, 100 years ago. But um, You were at first, UTA, I think, right? I, I was actually at William Morris Agency William at Morris. the time. But I um, was a buyer. I went to Lifetime Television. It was sort of my first grown-up job. And I was there for about 11 years um, doing unscripted and scripted television. But at that time, there really wasn't a lot of unscripted. It was really much more scripted. Um, but then I left there to go oversee BBC Studios in um, New York. 
and um, was producing some of the unscripted stuff there, which was more of the TLC stuff, like What Not to Wear and a lot of those shows. One of my favorite Friday night shows. Yeah. <laughs> great show. Uh, it is a great show. And, um, and that's when UTA decided they wanted to open up a New York office and needed someone who knew the buyers, knew the producers in New York, and having done both, um, I gave it a shot and went to go be an agent at UTA, um, working in their unscripted department, and or the alternative department, and it was great. And through there, um, I left there with one of my clients to go run his company, um, Jupiter Entertainment, which was um, is, it's a prolific production company, but uh, we, we really specialized in true crime television. So I spent... Always about, popular with the ladies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I spent five, you know, we always used to joke, crime pays. I mean, I spent five years uh, making thousands of hours of um, true crime television. And um, in February, January, I guess, of, of 2020, um, Rob Wade was looking for someone to come in and run the studio, um, Fox Alternative Entertainment. And um, I joined the company. So I joined the company in February of 2020, all eager to build out the studio um, because it became a priority to Fox to come up to create their own IP um, with the sale to Disney. Um, you know, it was an opportunity to sort of build out the library again. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I started in February 2020, as everyone will recall, about a month later, the pandemic hit. So um, it was a tricky time to be starting up something and to be, you know, anxious and, and, and excited to be building. Um, but we learned so much during that time. And I'm proud to say that Fox was, I think, the f first broadcast network to get um, original programming on the air during the pandemic. It was just 18 days after the pandemic shut everything down that we were able to get the iHeart concert, live concert on. Um, and then the studio, we managed to find a way to um, get I Can See Your Voice uh, launched and then the Mass Singer on the air. So it was, it learned a lot from that. Yeah, what an experience for everybody. Gave us lots of time to watch television. Yeah. That's the that's small upside. Um, tell us what the advertisers got to see in New York. Tell us about the new Fox schedule, some of those exciting shows that we got to see. We're really, really excited. Um, actually, both of the shows that we announced are from the in-house studio, so that was exciting. Um, and uh, one is Snake Oil, which Will Arnett is um, our partner on, he's the EP on, and David Spade is hosting. And it's literally just, it is, um, is this product real or is it fake? And that's what contestants have to figure out. And some of the products are, uh, you know, the things that you would see on as seen on TV and you're like, why would anyone ever make that or buy that or think of that? Um, so it's, it's actually a really, really fun show leaning into David's comedy chops. Um, and then We Are Family, um, you know, Fox has sort of had a great history with music programming and celebrity. I love this idea of this format. Yeah. You're going to showcase celebrities' families who also have talent, right? Well, that's, yeah, that's what it is. It's sort of, you know, recognizing the, um, the unfamous relatives of, of celebrities um, who are really, really talented but never get the spotlight. And um, Jamie Foxx and his daughter. And Jamie, Jamie and Corinne, Corinne Foxx are hosting. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, our, uh, the studio audience will actually be the ones who are going to be guessing and playing along. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really excited about that one yeah. as well. Great. I'm having some questions coming in here. So I'm going to 
relay a few of them. Um, as an exec who's worked in New York and LA most of your life, what's the major difference between production companies here and there? You know, it's a good question. I think um, in New York... They don't drive. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have to drive. Yeah. Um, you know, the business was, for, for many, many years, it's a strong cable market. Um, and so the production companies in New York, a lot of them aren't union. A lot of them know how to do things very scrappy, which is great, especially in this economic space. Mm. Um, and, but the type of programming they did was more docu. So it was docu-series and, you know, not sort of big, shiny floor um, formats. And I think out here, there's, um, you know, the, a lot of the production companies out here know how to do bigger studio-based shows um, and sort of larger, bigger footprint shows. Mm. Um, we have a question about the format fund, which I think we should spend some time talking about. Um, certainly the biggest amount of money I've seen identified for trying to find new formats and new talent in, in the industry. That got started in 2021. You allocated this $100 million. Um, you had an immediate success in Ireland with Boy George's Big Deal. Mm -hmm. um, and then Rob Wade got promoted. So <laughs> I'm wondering if the two are connected. Uh, so tell me about the fund. Tell me um, you know, how the idea originated, how it's going, what kind of um, talent you've unearthed through the fund and it's still going, right? You still yeah. have to keep spending that $100 million. It was the greatest gift and I, I credit Rob Wade completely. I mean, this was something that he had been dreaming dreaming of and, and hoping to make happen prior to my joining and I was just lucky enough to sort of be there when it got the sign off. Um, and then I was able to have an incredible partner in Natalie Wogue who... Um, is here. And, is she and here? She's here, yes. right over here. Hi. And um, Natalie works with us um, overseeing our international um, programming. And, and so it was a very great way to kind of enter into this space. Um, but the whole intent of it was to, and Rob recognized that it is much easier to create IP globally, you know, around the world than it is sometimes just here. Um, for ownership purposes, for, you know, it opens up the world creatively. There's, there's a lot of great ideas out there. So um, we started with the whole purpose of it, though, is to find ideas or create ideas that we can kind of test out in like-minded markets. Mm -hmm. So we go to places around the world where we find platforms that have similar viewers to our Fox viewers. So, who you know, the, the platform that may have the mass Singer on or the Voice on or... Um, we'll be able to test one of our ideas on that platform and see not only how the idea works out as a series um, for the same amount of money that you would spend making a pilot here, um, but you also get to sort of get viewer feedback, which, which has been really great. Yeah. Um, is the MIP TV pitch... Uh, event that you did related to the format fund is that part of the same thing or is it separate it is um it's it's tangential i okay. mean i think you know the whole idea is that we look for the ideas through that um pitch and then if there's something there that we that that sticks and that we can develop out and works we would put it as part of the fund yeah can you share any of the ideas that you saw that you were particularly uh, enthused about you know we th th there was um a couple we're, we're looking, just so anyone who's interested, we're always looking sort of for the next big performance show, next mm. big music show. So there were some good ideas in that space. Um, 
we had a fun, there was a game show that there was sort of a fun twist on that we um, optioned last year. So you know, there's it's it's a wide range of stuff. Mm. Um, I've got a question here. Obviously, Next Level Chef is a big hit on Fox. How did the premise come about to build a multi-level cooking competition show? It's a good question. It is a good question. There was a... Do you want to tell us what it is? Let's sure, Next Level Chef? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Next Level Chef is, um, it is a cooking competition show where you take home cooks and um, professionals and... Um, social media influencers. Social media influencers. Uh-huh. Um, you throw them all together. And the whole idea is it's th- the... the tower is three levels of kitchens basically the basement is beyond bare bones the middle kitchen is sort of like your average sort of back of a restaurant kitchen and then the top floor is top of the line everything and the idea is that you should be able if you're a really really good chef you should be able to make the very best food with the worst possible conditions can they come to my house (laughs) (laughs) look in my fridge (laughs) exactly mine too um and so and the same thing with the ingredients the idea came actually the the, um guy who created it matt cahoon is wonderful it was based on i think it was a documentary that might have been on netflix called the platform where um i think it was more of like a prison thing where they kind of had to grab the food as it was coming off and you had to sort of just make do with what you had um, so we took that idea, and, and it's similar. It's as the platform comes down, they have to race to get whatever ingredients they have and then try to make the best, very best dish that they can. Um, and it's it's just a lot of energy, and, um, you know, there's it's seeing Gordon in a different light. It's seeing Gordon as a mentor. You know, what we try to make sure is that every show we do with Gordon, you see a different side of him. Um, and so in this one, um, he's you've got Richard Blade. Is a nice side to Gordon? There's a really nice side to Gordon. <laughs> there is, but not on television. No, okay. <laughs> no, actually, you know, if you see MasterChef Junior yeah. with the kids, and, yeah. and you see, I mean, and, and he's actually great as a mentor. He's wonderful as a mentor. He's great on, with his daughter as well. He's oh, always he's wonderful with Tilly. Yeah. yeah. Criticizing him on the YouTube. <laughs> it looks like there's a lot of interest in hearing the origin stories uh, from you. So uh, there's another question here about the Mass Singer and how that came about. Um, one of the biggest global formats in decades came to Fox. How did it change how you identify shows? So I candidly came in um, at the beginning of season three. And we're about to, uh, we just finished season nine and we're about to launch um, Mass Singer 10 in the fall. Oh my gosh, 10. 10, yeah, it's crazy. Um, And so it's been, because we do two a year, but it's been, um, what it's done is, is kept the bar really high for creativity how high is it, it rates millions, right? It's a huge show. It's, it's Tell us. one of our highest rated shows, yeah, yeah and, and um, certainly in Unscripted, our highest. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're really proud of it, but I think what it showed all of us, and certainly and this was Rob Wade who bought it to answer the question. Rob took a chance on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it, it just showed us you kind of have to do things differently. They have to look visually differently. They have to, something's got to jump out of people to grab them, to get them to watch because there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if you're sort of turning the channel, people still do that, <laughs> you know, um, and you see, you're kind of wondering like, what the hell is going on there? Why is there someone dressed as a parrot doing um, that enough as long as the show itself is good to keep them there is, is something that we 
are now looking for. Yeah, so obviously you work for the broadcast network. They have two hours a night. I'm sure it's a fight to try and get new ideas on. But there's also other venues, right? There are, uh, there's, there's Tubi. Mm -hmm. Your shows go to Hulu also. How can somebody who's got an idea come and get a shot at uh, a US broadcast? Yeah, I mean, I think the types of shows, so we don't do, um, to be, uh, some, of the, some of our studios, FAE and TMZ, actually all of them, and um, Studio Ramsey Global have produced originals for Tubi. Um, TMZ and FAE have produced um, a number of documentaries, and um, Studio Ramsey Global just launched their first series for them, Kitchen Commando. But, um, but in general, they're, you know, they're, um, we don't look to them, certainly on the network side, as a partner for original programming on the unscripted side. Um, but uh, in terms of bringing ideas, sorry to go back to your question though, in terms of how best to get ideas to us, um, if, it's, if it's coming internationally, um, call Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> send it to her. Um, but really, it's, it's you know, I come in with a producer that, that we know or, or a production company that we know, and if it's, if it's coming in cold, um, usually, you know, you, you would need a lawyer or an agent or someone just to sort of be on the email. But CAA is across the street, guys. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, another question here. Um, do you produce in-house only for Fox? Are you selling shows to other networks? We are actually. Um, we we sold um, a show to Freeform Love Trip, um, which is an amazing, beautifully done dating show done in Paris. Um, so that was our first. That was FAE's. Outside of doing it for Tubi, that was FAE's first um, off-net series. Mm, I definitely want to see that one. Yeah, and and Studio Ramsey Global produces for a ton of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another good question here. Korea has been a huge hotspot for new ideas. Are you finding any new hot territories now for reality formats? Um, we are all over the place, actually. I mean, we really are. Um, it, it's funny because you're right. It, 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 it used to be all, you know, Japanese game shows and stuff. And then Korea has, um, has become really hot. But we have found stuff in Belgium. We've found stuff in Germany. We found stuff in Spain. So um, there's not one real territory that we've focused on. Mm -hmm. um, can you share a bit more about the kind of shows you're looking for? Are they family friendly? Are they edgy? Are they music related? Um, you touched on it a little bit, but tell us a bit more about you know what what would be the sweet spot of an idea that someone could come to you and you'd be like, this is it. Yeah, you know it's funny because when I hear family friendly. It, it sounds like it's soft, and, and, but yet we do want families watching, you know, but I wouldn't say the mass Singer is soft. Um, and so I, the, you know, I think the characteristics of the shows that we want should be, as we say in sort of network speak, four quadrant, but uh, so it should sort of welcome all, but, um, but it should be unexpected and um, with a little bit of attitude, mm -hmm. I think is really, you know, um, sort of a part of Fox's brand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I would say so. And, and comedy as well, I think. Yeah. Keep those questions coming, people. Um, tell us a little bit about Beat My Mini-Me with TF1 in France and then Marriage Market with ProZeban in Germany. So we're very, very excited about that. Um, Beat My Mini-Me, again, Natalie, um, was very helpful in coming up with that idea. Um, we So for the International Fund, we were really fortunate to get to partner with um, TF1, um, and Julian over there, who's been an incredible partner, 
Um, it's a uh, singing competition show where you have celebrities backed by many versions of themselves, children, um, all competing to ultimately be the very best little performer. Um, and it's, we're excited. We're really excited about it. Um, we trust those guys over there, TF1 Productions. And, and, um, so, and, we, and again, it's really important for in our international fund that we partner with producers and production companies who um, we trust have the, the same quality, um, you know, quality bar. And then uh, Marriage Market was something that actually FAE had um, piloted for Fox. And we kind of put it on the, not the back shelf, we kind of put it on hold for a minute. And um, we were lucky enough, we were at MIP and we met with um, Hannes at uh, ProSieben. And they loved the idea. So um, they're actually going and- The film. idea is parents- and The idea is, I, yeah, it's, it is. We learned, I guess, that in China, there are actual marriage markets where people go to find um, their children spouses. And once someone read that article in our in our group, they were like, whoa, that's a show. Um, and so this is really just building out. It is a little bit of a market where you've got parents who, and their children, and they are showing the best of their children and picking who is best for their kids. Are they, are they little kids or are they no, like they're, grown they're, adults? No, they're grown adults. They're adults, they're, they're, okay. Yeah, grown adults who just have sort of tried the apps, they've tried everything, and they're like, you know what? Maybe we should just trust our parents and give it a shot. <laughs> so um, we're really, really excited. They start shooting that um, in July. Um, and when does it come to Fox? Do you know? Well, once we see how it goes, okay. then, then, then we'll hopefully um, yeah. take it back. The writer's strike is obviously on everybody's minds. Uh, picketers were disrupting the upfront. Um, you know, we, we talk about unscripted television, but really it's scripted, right? There are script writers who help the flow and to, to make sure that things um, are entertaining. What are you doing about the writer's strike? How long do you think it's going to last? How's it affecting what you do here in the US? Could it lead to folks looking overseas for solutions if it continues? Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, I, I feel badly for everyone. I, I want the writers to get what they want. I want everyone to sort of, you know, to kind of um, get get what they need. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, for us, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like because it's unscripted, there's no script, there's no writers, but we're still stuck in it, you know, and you've got a lot of actors who are sort of sitting out out of solidarity, which I totally respect, but it makes it, you know, challenging for us when you have a lot of celebrity-based shows um, to figure out what to do. You know, I think that um, going overseas has been something that we've been doing anyway because for um, efficiencies in terms of just cost and production and, and um, but we, um, so we are doing some of that, but we've had such a full pipeline of stuff ready to go anyway that we really have preparing had to, and you yeah. felt like it's coming we need to get stuff in the not only yeah not only this is coming but we have always kind of we were sort of doubling down on unscripted anyway so we were um so we were hopefully set up yeah we've got another question here do you miss producing you know it's funny i i feel like i get the best of both worlds um because i feel like i i i, I know we're very involved we're very hands-on I, I think some of our production companies wish we weren't as hands-on, but <laughs> we are. Um, so, it, you know, I, I 
feel like I'm still close enough to it that I don't miss it. Yeah. And another good one here. How important is nostalgic IP for you at Fox? Old game show titles that resonated in the day that you will bring back? Love Connection, Star Search, Reboot? I love them all. I mean, look, Name That Tune has been um, successful for us. And I think we all learned when Night Court came back and was, was a huge ratings hit that um, nostalgia is is really something that people are craving. Um, and I think that we, if, if there are titles out there that we haven't already heard about, um, I would, we would love to hear more. Um, so back to broadcast. I mean, broadcast, we kind of, we get very caught up in talking about streaming all the time um, as if broadcast is dead and cable is dead. Broadcast is obviously very alive and kicking. Um, tell me a bit about how you measure success these days. Obviously, we used to think about big ratings, big overnights. Um, what's changed in terms of what your bosses want to see as a bona fide hit? Obviously, they're still looking at ratings in some senses, but they're looking at other kinds of metrics too. Yeah, I mean, the um, overnight ratings are, I don't want to say irrelevant, because it, it is a sort of a sign, mm. um, but I think it's become much more important now, you know, sort of the L7s, like are people, what happens, are people watching it on Hulu? Is there growth? Um, and that's really, is there growth is the big question. From week to week, um, growth, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're all pretty aware that, getting a giant number this day and age um, in broadcast when there's just so much content out there um, right out of the gate is probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, or those numbers just probably don't exist anymore. But, um, but if you're able to build, get that number of viewers over the period of time and show that something is growing and stick with it, then that's a success. What's a success these days in terms of ratings? Couple of million? Oh boy! I mean, uh, I mean, it, hard to say. Yeah, not. I mean, what's that, the highest that, rated show you have on a on the network? It's probably Lone Star Nine One One. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and then I think Mass Singer would be second. Got it. Um, another question from the audience: Are you interested in sports game shows, or should producers go to TMZ? That's so funny. TMZ actually wants to do a sports game show. Um, we are interested. I mean, look, I think the thing that that Fox has, and um, going back to the importance of broadcast, you know, we have sports, um, and live is what kind of sets broadcast apart. I know that Netflix is getting into live and Amazon, but um, and so anywhere that we can try to capitalize on on that, you know, the, the, those assets that we have, so. Um, those getting those sports viewers to come watch entertainment in some way, shape, or form, we would. Mm -hmm. Still on the TMZ topic, um, are you looking to expand TMZ's brand? Would there be a TMZ branded game show or doc series? There actually is a TMZ branded game show. Um, it's on our station groups um, and more to come on that. So yeah, and TMZ actually has TMZ originals. So they do um, a lot of documentaries uh, for um, Tubi and for Fox. Um, we just had uh, Britney Spears doc on, on Monday night. Um, so yeah, they're building out their original slate. Mm. So Alison, just to wind up, we have about a minute and a half left. Can you talk a, a little bit about the streaming assets that you have and when and where a show would go to Tubi or to Hulu or to, to anything else or live yeah. streaming TMZ? Sure. I mean, um, a, uh, Tubi is our AVOD partner. Um, and 
uh, Hulu is our streaming partner. And so Hulu gets everything next day from us. Um, and so we, um, you know, those at the moment, those are our, those are our partners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's room to expand down the road, but right now those are our partners. Good. I think that's probably it. Anything you want to wind up with, Alison? It's been a good session. You answered a lot of questions. Well, no, no, no. But thank you for the questions. Um, and we're really excited. I mean, I think this is, um, you know, we're excited to be back in the global business. So um, being at this market is is really exciting for us. Yeah. Tell us about what we're doing with Fox Global. You have a new sales exec. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Fox Global is our our distribution arm. Um, and uh, formerly Mar Vista. Um, and so we're, you know, really excited to have them in-house and to be working closely with them on all fronts. Excellent. Yeah. Round of applause, everybody, for Alison Wallach. Alison Wallach speaking with Claire Atkinson. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more interviews by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest news and views from the international TV business by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.